It is good to have everybody here this morning. We welcome our visitors, and if you're a first-time visitor and you did not receive a visitor's information packet, uh, if you would raise your hand, we will get one to you. We have one visitor on the my left, your right. There's a little card in the visitor's it's getting. There's a little card in the visitor's packet uh, for you to fill out, and that way we can keep you informed of any events and things going on at the synagogue, such as our Java Nagila coffee time tonight, uh, where we're having Michael uh, Johnson is going to be doing the music, right? Did I say I said that right, didn't I? Wait, 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 wait. I, I understand. Just calm down. I got this. Michael Johnson doing the, the, the music along with superstar Polly Lockler because, because it's just not all about Michael. So, thank you very much. L'chaim. Looking forward to it. Also, just so that people know, um, people asked about my new book. I will have them available tonight at Java Nagila after Shabbat is over. So if you want to get copies of that or any of my other books, they will all be available here. Help me send my grandchildren to college. <sighs> the Lord is good. I was, uh, by the way, the whole thing with the rolling the scroll, that's my fault. I want to take full responsibility. That is something that Jonathan, I know, Catherine is like, he's taking responsibility. Don't worry, I'm going to take. So that is something Jonathan and I do on Mondays. It's our Monday schedule of things to roll it to the next verses so we can continue on. But I was in Lake City Monday and Tuesday working on a project with Rebitson, a rabbi in Rebitson Levine from uh, down in Melbourne, and so I wasn't here on Monday to do that, so it wasn't on my list anymore. So, uh, <laughs> Leah's going to pass out because I took responsibility for that. She's like, I don't know what to do now, rabbi. Okay. So anyhow, that's what happened with that, and I just wanted to make sure that nobody thought that was uh, Jonathan's fault this time. So, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Exodus 22. Verse 20, now I know this week's Parsha begins with all of that stuff about slaves and slavery and, and all that, and I thought, what a more fun thing to talk about than, uh, than slavery. What could we possibly, in this day and age, in the situation we find ourselves uh, what more could we find to talk about? Matter of fact, I, I looked at the verse that Leah had chosen. I think Leah chose it for the weekly PowerPoint slide. That was Catherine. And I thought, we need to send that to every person in Washington. <laughs> so if you didn't see it, I'll get Leah to turn it on in a little bit and follow that along. But it says, don't participate with unrighteous, ungodliness, lies, deceit. Things like that. We should, we should send that to Washington, addressed to everybody that works there. So, but that's not what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about something else, and uh, we're at uh, in in chapter Exodus 22. Uh, we're going to read from verse 20, and it says, uh, "You must not exploit or oppress an outsider." For you were outsiders in the land of Egypt. You must not mistreat any widow or orphan. If you mistreat them in any way and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. You know, this morning, um, 
when Catherine was uh, leading the, or talking during the worship while they were leading, uh, she brought up the fact that during our foundations class, someone had asked a question about vain repetition and how I had answered that question. And, and I brought up how um, in our liturgy, we have like the, even the mourner's Kaddish, which we say uh, each week so that we can honor those and support those and pray with those and identify those who need a little extra uh, support in our community. There's a section that says that God is above all songs, consolations, anything we can imagine. We kind of say that very quickly in our service, but it's an absolute truth that the best song that could ever be written, the most beautiful poetry that could ever be written, the most beautiful art that could ever be done to try to portray to us who and what God is still fails in comparison to His greatness. And the Kaddish is a prayer that's generally said four or five times during a traditional liturgical service. We don't do it but once, or sometimes we'll do the regular Kaddish and then the mourner's Kaddish, but we don't do it because I don't want it to become vain repetition to us. I don't want it to become what it was to me growing up, which uh, we had four times in our service we would say the Kaddish, so that was the end of the first quarter, the end of the second quarter, it was now halftime. Then we had third quarter, fourth quarter, touchdown home. And that's when we would go to the Oneg or the Kiddush and Motsi, and we would have uh, our wine and bread, and generally we had cheesecake. Uh, I, love, I grew up loving cheesecake, but I, I, did, I love cheesecake, but I love graham cracker crust more. So my, we would go out to pour the Kiddush wine, so it would be one for you, one for me. One for you, one, two for me. One for you, one, two, three for me. And, and so then we would go over after we finished pouring the Kiddush for everybody. We would then take the cheesecake out of the little foil thingies. You know what I'm talking about, the little crinkly things. We'd pull the cheesecake out, pull the graham cracker crust off, put the cheesecake back in, and eat the graham cracker crust. But I knew that once we went through that fourth quarter Kaddish, we were rounding home to get out of there, and then it was the Amida and Kelohenu, and we were gone. And, and so that's what liturgy meant to me. Now, I understood what it said, but what it meant was completely different from what it said. And so I never want that to be that way with us, so we vary sometimes. We'll do Adon Alam differently as we did this morning, that beautiful Hasidic version of Adon Alam that we did, and we'll do sometimes Ain Kelohenu different, or we'll do some of the other prayers different, or we won't do each prayer each week, not because they aren't beautiful prayers, and not because they aren't scripture, and not because they aren't part of our heritage, but because I don't want it to become just something we repeat till we get our touchdown and can go to the Kiddush. That's not, you know, that's not what service is supposed to be. It's not what liturgy is supposed to be. So I was reading through the scripture in in. This week's Parsha begins in Mishpatim, which means ordinances, and just for knowledge's sake, there are commandments, there are ordinances, there are judgments, and each of those are different things. And if you want to imagine or just think, because people get confused about these things, let's put it in terms of something that's easy to understand, and that is a driver's license. Okay, we have law that says... You have to have a license in order to drive in Florida. I know some of you ignore that law. But you have to have a law to drive in Florida. The law says you have to have a license to drive in Florida. So that's the law. That's like honor your mother and father. And then there's a law that says you have to be 15 in order to have a learner's permit or reserve, restricted License is still that way. It's been so long since I had a license. Still 15 is that. And that means you can drive with an adult in the car. Not that that really helps, but, but there's an adult in the car. And it also means you can only drive until it gets dark and you can only drive so much before. And if you're driving a motorcycle, you can only drive by yourself if it's small enough to not even be considered a motorcycle. So that's 15. Then at 16, you can get your license. And you can drive by yourself now. And so there's different ordinances. And, and you have to be at least 15 to drive unless you live on a farm. 
And if you live on a farm, then at 13 you can get to where you can drive as long as you're doing farm work. And you can have a license from when you're 16 until you can't see well enough or think well enough to drive, and then they take it away from you on the other end. They haven't done that quick enough for some people. I'm from South Florida, where you take your life in your hands every time you get on the road. And I don't, cannot tell you how many times I was driving down the highway with a car coming the other way on the highway in the fast lane that turned in the wrong turning lane. So anyhow, people need... So those are ordinances. Okay, and then judgments. What happens if you drive before you are old enough to drive? Or what happens if you drive after you went too fast on the road? Where's Rivka? She's in the back? Okay. You know, you drive too fast. Those kind of things. It's been a long time since I got a ticket for speeding. I, I make it a point not to do that. I did get one a few years ago uh, because I was talking to my son. Now, I blame this on my son. I was talking to my son who was telling me, I just did that to make her feel better. She was still hyperventilating over there. I, I was talking to my son who had passed a test in his school. He was very excited. I was very excited. We were excited together. We were driving. I was driving down the road, and I didn't notice the school zone, or not school zone, the work zone, largely because there were no workers there. But it doesn't require workers to be a work zone because we're dealing with the government. And so all of a sudden I looked in my rearview mirror and there was a police officer there smiling at me. And so he pulled me over and he said, you know, you were going 70 in this lane and you were only supposed to be going... 40 or 50 or whatever it was. And I said, yes, I was. And he said, well, I have to write you a ticket. I said, yes, sir, you are. I said, would you do me a favor? He said, what? Would you hurry up? <laughs> I'm, I'm late or I wouldn't have been speeding. So if you would help me out, I am preaching this morning. And I would like to get to the service before it ends so that I can afford to pay the ticket you're about to give me. I didn't say all that. <laughs> I wanted to. Inside, all that was said. That whole conversation went on. Outside, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So anyhow, they sent me a ticket, and they said, look, here's how you do this in two weeks. It'll be online. You just look online. You pay whatever it tells you to do. So I go online in two weeks. There's no information online. So I call them, and they said, um, I'm sorry, but your particular type of ticket you have to come and be in court for. So I said, wonderful. So when do I have to get to be in court? Rosh Hashanah. That was the day they chose for my hearing. So I said, that's, uh, that's, that's difficult. So I contacted a lawyer friend, and I said, hey, I, I don't want to have to go on Rosh Hashanah. I don't mind going. I was speeding. I'll take whatever it is that I have to do. I just can't go on Rosh Hashanah. My congregation expects me to be there on Rosh Hashanah. So he said, well, I don't, I'm not really a lawyer in that county. Now, I'm not sure, but Seth, you can correct me. Aren't lawyers by state bar, not county? Okay, but he said, I'm not really a lawyer in that county, which is his saying, I don't want to deal with this, but I have a friend through this program that I'm a part of called Legal Shield or Prepaid Legal or whatever, and I can connect you with them. And I went, oh, wait a minute. I've been paying prepaid legal out of my bank account for 20-something years and never have used it. I hadn't even thought about it for, for ages. So I called up Legal Shield and explained my situation to them. And they assigned me a lawyer, honest to goodness, his name was Lord. <laughs> so, on Rosh Hashanah, my Lord <clears throat> showed up, 
and managed to get them to drop it to a $70 fine instead of a 700 and something dollar fine. And I got through with that. So anyhow, that's a judgment. I broke the law. The result of the law was a ticket and all of that aggravation. And my wife, is she here? Hi, sweetheart. My wife was like, I watched my cousin Vinny. I know what happens in Alabama and Georgia when somebody from New York gets a ticket. This is bad. You need a lawyer. So anyhow, we took care of that. So, so that helps understand commandments, ordinances, judgments, because people are confused about those things, and I have not got a speeding ticket since then. And I generally don't speed. I'm really, really good about that. <laughs> I am. You guys are laughing at me like it's not true. I really am. I'm, I'm set my cruise control. Because I... Huh? When I took responsibility for something, it took off everything, didn't it? Anyhow, so we're dealing with... And this week's parsha deals with and begins these ordinances that God is giving, and these are intercommunity laws. How do you handle things within your community? And it begins with the slavery issue, largely because Israel had just stopped being slaves, and God wanted to establish that we don't do slavery like that. Now, I know people get upset at the word slavery. This Israeli slavery or biblical slavery is more indentured servanthood than it is slavery like we had in the United States. You owed somebody money. You didn't have the money. You went to work for them until you paid the money back. And either you paid the money back or at seven years you got to go free and your debt was taken care of. This way, it took care of those that couldn't pay their bills. Gave them opportunity to do so by working it off and taking care of it. So it's not the same as what we deal with in the other. But in these ordinances, we get to this line that says, You must not exploit or oppress an outsider, for you were outsiders in the land of Egypt. You must not mistreat any widow or orphan. If you mistreat them in any way and they cry out to me, you will, I will surely hear their cry. Now, I've already lots of times talked about taking care of the poor and needy, and we should do that, and we should be active in doing that, and we have a, a benevolence ministry and a homeless ministry that we work here at the synagogue. We try to tell those within our community that if you need help, come to us. We'll try to help you if we can. We go outside of our family community here at Bridom to try to help others there. We, we support orphanages in Africa and other places. We support ministries in Israel that help with uh, with poor people like uh, Hatikva that does dentistry for poor in Israel because the people in Israel have uh, socialized medicine but not socialized dentistry. So if you need dentistry, you have to pay for that. So we help uh, people do that. So, but that's not what I wanted to focus on today because I, I really feel like this teaches talks more than just that. And, and so I want to put this in terms of, because the word that's used for outsider there is ger, which means a, a, a person from outside the community or a stranger. And once we start applying the word stranger, then it pertains to everybody in this room. Because you guys are stranger than most. But it, it really does. And so I want to talk about this in terms not of uh, a stranger coming from another nation to Israel and and which is what the, the, the actual context is talking about in terms of you were strangers in Israel and they mistreated you, so you shouldn't mistreat others. But I want to talk about in, this in spiritual terms because something that we need to get a handle on as a community if we're going to grow and see people come to faith and come to be part of our community is the idea and the understanding that we need to treat those that come to our synagogue the same way that this talks about people coming to Israel. And the reality that anybody who comes to a Messianic synagogue comes because they're broken. They come because they have problems. They come because they're many times lost. They come because they've been 
uh, misaligned in whether Judaism or Christianity or Hinduism or Shinto or, or some other belief system. They've been misaligned and they're, they're coming from outside and coming here. And too often, when somebody comes from outside to come here, and, and not just here, but the Messianic movement as a whole, we can be very abrasive to them. We can, we can be very us against them in many ways. Now, our congregation doesn't deal with this as badly as some other congregations I've been to. There are congregations that I've been to that if the person isn't actually genetically Jewish, they are almost pushed out. You're less than. You're not, you know, you, you can come hang out here and maybe you can help clean the bathrooms, paint the building, work in the yard, stuff like that, but but you're not going to be on the worship team or teach our children or, or be part of the inside family. You're going to be outside. And so that's kind of a, a spiritual faith, religion, background kind of thing that comes from a genetic difference, the Jew-Gentile thing. But then when you go beyond that, we actually have favored sins. You know, if you commit certain sins, you're much more acceptable to the community than if you commit other sins. You know, it, it, we've almost determined that some sins are like you become a Moabite, and a Moabite shall not enter. Depending on what it is, you can, for instance, premarital sex. I know, I said those words, and they're on the tape and everything. <laughs> is almost winked and nodded at today in the body of believers. Oh, so you guys live together? Well, you know, you might should get married. But that's just kind of almost an acceptable thing. But God forbid the woman get pregnant because now she's a harlot. You hardly ever hear about the guy. I took school uh, science in school. I know it takes at least one of each. But we rarely ever. So the guy gets kind of a buy and in many cases gets a pat on the back while the girl gets treated like damaged goods. I was looking at Catherine's shirt this morning. She has a Choose Life shirt on. And we are here unapologetically pro-life. From the minute the, 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 the egg and the... We're not going to get into all the politics of it, but from the, from the minute that happens, that's a life. Okay, and we're unapologetically that way. But as strong as we are in pro-life, we actually also have to be just that strong in ministering to those who took a life. You know, there's over 60 million, last time I counted it, maybe 70 now, million babies that were aborted. And that means that there were that many women who had abortions. It also means there were that many men who either never became fathers or forced a woman to have an abortion that need to be ministered to. And if they come to our congregation, we need to treat them as God would have us treat them and not treat them as strangers or aliens or misfits or less than because that was their particular sin. 
we had a young lady, some of you remember her, who came to our congregation. She was involved in a, uh, a gay lifestyle. She came to our congregation for well over a year. She actually separated from the person she was with, and I happened, she Facebook friended me. By the way, just a side note, if you're a female, I'm never going to invite you to be my friend on Facebook. So if you're upset because I haven't invited you on Facebook, it's because I'm never going to do that. So if you want to be my friend, you need to invite my wife to be your friend, and then invite me, and then we'll do, go that, because I'm never going to be that creeper guy who does that. So anyhow, she invited me to be her friend, and, we, and so I started watching, and she was vocally defending our congregation and the Bible on her Facebook page because we were so loving to her when she got here. I was so blessed. She's now living in Texas, and we communicate every now and then. But that's another one of those sins that we tend to... And look, immorality is immorality biblically no matter which team you're playing for. And we need to understand and be loving to those people just as we would any other sin or unrighteous activity. We tend to look at alcoholism different than people use heroin. And we shouldn't. And I'm not saying this because I see a big problem with that here. I'm saying it because I never want to. I'm saying that because if, if you come to our congregation and you come to faith in Messiah, we actually believe that He changes people. And that if you become a new believer, you become a new believer. No matter what you were previous to that. Zechariah 7.9 says, Thus says Adonai Tsevaot. I love that Hebrew word, Adonai Tsevaot, those Hebrew words. I love those words. They're usually translated Lord of Hosts in the Bible, which is unfortunate to me because it actually means Lord of Armies, not just host. Host just sounds like a bunch of people. You know, we're having barbecue, I'm hosting. That's an entirely different picture than Lord of Armies. It's a whole different set. But he says this, administer true judgment and practice mercy and compassion each to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the outsider or the poor. Furthermore, do not let any of you devise evil against one another in your heart. Now there's a reason it chose to use the word Lord of hosts or Lord of armies in this verse instead of some of the other names that God has for himself and is used other ways. It doesn't just say, thus saith Adonai, or thus saith Elohim. It's thus saith the Lord of hosts. Why does God bring an army with them to make this statement? Because of Exodus where he says, if they cry out to me, I'll surely hear their cry. Jacob book of James, Jacob, Yaakov 125 says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect Torah, the Torah that gives freedom and continues in it, not becoming a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he's religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is futile." Pure and undefiled religion before God and our God and Father is this, to care for the widows, orphans in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We talk about seeing a revival. I want to see a revival. I want to see revival. I want to see people's hearts turn toward the Lord, and then I want to see those people whose hearts turn toward the Lord, sharing the good news with other people so they'll turn toward the Lord also. But I don't think we're ever going to have revival 
where we see a great move of, uh, of non-believers coming to faith until we understand that um, we have to welcome them into our community. And I know this happens because I get the phone calls from people. And listen, if you're one of these people, um, you're just going to have to pray to forgive me. But I get emails from people who say, hey, I want you to know, I, I met a visitor on Saturday and I Googled them. And uh, do you know that they're a felon? I said, no, I don't. I know they're a human. I Google them, do you know they're on a list? I say, and now you are. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise. I think that we need to be wise, but we need to understand that if we were to, look, if we took this room of people and we had, and, and God was to, on the PowerPoint, list off every sin we did today, we would be here a long time before we got through our people here. And that's just today. Rabbi, do you know that person's been arrested? No, but now I have another friend. Because I have been. What they're really saying is, Rabbi, you know that person isn't perfect? And I say, you know what? Neither are we. If we're going to have what God wants us to have as a family. Now listen, please don't take anything I just said as winking and nodding or that we're not protective of our people or that we think we should just ignore things that, because it's just easier to get along, go along to get along. None of those things. But the truth is, there's not a person in this room that if you were charged for every crime you committed would be in this room this morning except Pammy because she's perfect if we got charged with our crimes none of us would be here because almost everyone in here has committed murder in their heart. The Lord said, if you mistreat them in any way and they cry out to me, I will surely hear that cry. Now we read that very innocuously, very well, God's going to hear them. What he's saying is, I'm going to take care of this. If they cry out to me, I'm coming down and I'm going to take care of this. And they're not going to like that. You want to be invited not to worship here. Act like that. Mistreat someone that comes here. We will give you the left foot of disfellowship. We will invite you to worship elsewhere. We will tell you very lovingly and very kindly it is clear that this is not the family for you. That doesn't in any way make us blind of sin. It didn't make God blind of sin when he said it either. By the way, he's talking about Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, and all the other ites, and most of those ites were murdering their babies in worship. Okay, so when you look at this and you go, yeah, but that's talking about nice people. No, it's not. It's talking about people just like you. And just like me. It's talking about people that need God. It's talking about people that need us to welcome them to the family of God, not 
ignoring their sin, but lifting them up out of it. The, the, the Bible says we can pull people from the very fires if we'll do it, but we have to want to. It is so much easier to look down upon those who sin in ways we don't so that we can look up to ourselves and feel better about who we are. Well, at least I'm not them. At least I'm better than that. That person's religion is futile, worthless, waste, desert, bereft, without. I believe that we are on the precipice of God doing something powerful in our midst. I'm not saying that in the way of the prophecies and things that are going on, but what I know is this, that every time persecution came to the body, revival followed along with it. Whenever there's a shaking, God's kingdom grows. And that means that there's going to be people that are going to be looking for what God has for them because they're broken and wounded and they feel deceived or let down. They feel like they've been uh, kicked to the curb, cast out by their family, by their friend. Everything has fallen apart in their life and they're looking up finally. They have hit rock bottom and the only thing left is up and you and I are there. And those are the people that the Lord says, don't exploit or oppress. Don't make it more difficult for them to come than it needs to be. They're already overcoming themselves and many times their family. If they're like me and come from a Jewish background, it's a huge leap to walk into the doors of a Messianic synagogue. Don't make it difficult for them. There's going to be times during this, and uh, I looked at the clock twice and ignored it both times. Okay. There's going to be times when people are going to come in, and they're going to be so uh, disjointed that they're going to do something, say something, believe something. They're grasping for any straw they can, and they're going to grab onto whatever rope drops down to them. And some of those ropes are leading to the wrong place and they're going to get that way and then they're going to leave the congregation and they're, you know, and they're going to get mad, they're going to get upset, all that's going to happen. When that happens, and it will, we have to make sure that they're welcome back. It's hard enough for somebody to say, I was wrong. without having to jump hurdles to do it. It's important that we welcome people back in repentance. People are going to fail us. I'm going to fail you. If I haven't already, write it down. I promise I'm going to disappoint you. I promise I'm going to say something that's going to upset you. I promise I'm not going to do something that you like. I promise I am human. I'm going to fail. And if I haven't offended you yet, just hang on. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm saying that about reality. You're going to cross me one time where I'm just not perfect and I'm going to be me. Isn't that right, Catherine? And I'm going to have to come to you and apologize. I'm going to have to humble myself and say, I was wrong. And I'm going to expect you to say, welcome back. In the same way that we're going to welcome others back. Because that's what this is talking about. And the repercussions of not doing this is painful. It's destructive. 
This isn't just God saying, I'm going to get you, but this is God saying, I'm coming with my army. This is a significant thing. I want us to have twice as many people in here and then fill that up. And then I want us to open six or eight other congregations in this area and have them all filled up. And then I want to spread out to other states, not as franchises, but as new congregations reaching out to their community and and blessing and doing that. But we're never going to do that if we aren't willing to welcome those that we would not welcome. Rabbi, do you know what that person used to be? Nope. But I know what I used to be. I've heard the sound of a prison door shut. I've told somebody handcuffs weren't comfortable. I've had somebody look right in my face and say, you're an alcoholic. Yeah, the guy standing up here. People that come in here, every one of them is an outsider that's wanting to be an insider. Every one of them needs a home. And if you can't welcome them here, how are you going to feel about spending eternity with them there? Because I guarantee you God is going to welcome the humble and repentant whether we do or not. He's going to welcome those sinners whether we do or not. Not in their sin, but from their sin. He's going to reach them whether we're involved or not, and I want us to be involved. I want to be the people and the place where people brag about how much we love them, even when they're not perfect. The only place that I know of in the Bible that describes being unstained by the world is this verse that tells us to love and care for orphans, widows, outsiders. That's how we get unstained. That's, you know, we put on robes of righteousness, but as soon as we put on those robes of righteousness, we generally get them dirty. And the way they get unstained is not by us fixing us, because we can't do that. Only God can do that. It's when we help others to find love, renewal, repentance, hope, peace, love, joy, all the things the Bible says. That's how our garments become unstained. In closing, from our Haftor reading, this is one of the saddest Haftorahs we read in the Bible. Joash is seven years old when he becomes king. He reigns for 40 years. But all that time, he never took down the high places. People were still sacrificing and burning incense in the high places. They were still falsely worshiping. And he tells the people, take all the money from the treasury and repair the house of God and fix whatever damage is found. But by the 23rd year of his reign, the priest had still not repaired the damage to the house. There was so much damage in the house of God that even though it says he reigned and did everything himself that was right in the eyes of the Lord, the house of God was falling apart because the priests weren't taking care of the things that needed to be repaired. And that's what I'm talking about today because the Bible refers to us 
as kings and priests, both in the Tanakh and the Brit Kadashah. And it's up to you and I to repair the damage in the house so that it can become a house of prayer for all nations. So that people can come and join and be part of what we are and so that we can welcome them as strangers. And what's interesting is it tells us to welcome them as strangers. It doesn't say to accept all their strangeness, but welcome them as strangers and take care of them. Because if they come and they find us as what we're supposed to be, they'll transition from strangers to Israelites. I don't want our story to be, oh yeah, Bradam, they were there for 40 years. But no matter what they did, no matter what good it seemed there was, no matter how much they did things that they thought were right in the eyes of the Lord, and, and even things that were, the house was falling apart and they never took care of what they were supposed to. They never fixed the holes in the walls. They never fixed the things to make it so there would be place for other people to come and be a part of. Zechariah equates, let's all stand. Zechariah equates not practicing mercy and compassion with devising evil against one another in your heart. In other words, Zechariah says, if you don't do these things, you're devising evil in your heart toward other people. Not doing this is doing evil. Verse 23, just in case you didn't get the message yet. Starting in verse 21 again, you shall not wrong the stranger or oppress him, for you are strange to the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan if you afflict them in any way and they cry to you, cry to me, I will hear their cry. Verse 23, and my anger shall burn hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives and your children will be widows. That's how serious God is about this. I'm not saying this to, to, to make anybody feel bad. I'm saying this to encourage us. If, if you've struggled with being welcoming to somebody because of what they are, who they are, please seek the Lord. Please repent. Please turn your heart toward Him. It's not ignoring their sin. It's notating and understanding God's mercy, His grace, and His love, and His call on their life. Nobody's going to come in these doors and suddenly become pure and holy and right in all ways. I wish it would happen. Be, as a rabbi here, it would be wonderful if as soon as you walked in the door, everything became perfect. There's no longer any sin or desire to sin in all of your lives. Everybody would do exactly what they're supposed to do. That would be so wonderful, but it's not realistic. We need to welcome them where they are, grab them by their hand, and walk them to the throne so that they can meet Him. Because He can make them better than what we would like them to be.
of his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you peace This is the way you shall be blessed from day to day. He'll be your rest. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace and give you Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. B'shem Yeshua, Meshachinu, Sar Shalom. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.